0: Okay, here we go, with another score I want you to check. And this one is from a dynamic musical trio that defies categorization, convention, expectation. The band I'm talking about is Sunlux. Incidentally, those same words can be used to describe the film that their first feature score together belongs to. Everything, everywhere, all at once. This marvel of a new adventure from A24 is, to shamelessly quote myself, the wacky and wild brainchild of the filmmaking tandem Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, who go by Daniels. Everything, everywhere, all at once observes the tender and tenuous bonds of a working class Chinese-American family in the frame of a rollicking romp through the multiverse. And it has sent ripples through this verse. The unexpected box office hit has been a powerhouse, taking moviegoing audiences by storm and surprise, drawing them back into the theaters again to get the full effect of its unbridled cinematic ambition. The arrival of this movie in March was timely, and it's still in theaters as I record this. I say that because seeing it is an experience that reminds you of what it was like to go to the movies back in the springs and summers of youth and young adulthood when you can escape into a dark, air-conditioned room for a couple of hours one afternoon and be upended by some big theatrical swing like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, or The Fifth Element, or The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. The directors Daniels selected Sunlux to score everything, everywhere, all at once because they needed composers who could keep up with the volume and pace of the production. This movie is, in a word, audacious and Sun Lux is perhaps the most audacious contemporary band I know. It started out as a solo project by composer and producer Ryan Lott, who then recruited guitarist Rafiq Bhatia and drummer Ian Chang when he realized there was a lot more compositional ground to cover than he could navigate on his own. All three of them are unusually gifted and skilled solo musicians, who unite to make music that stretches the boundaries of form and imagination kind of makes you wonder if they were just destined to score a movie like this. Their music for everything, everywhere, all at once gives me everything I could ever hope to get from a score. The shivers and tingles, the tears, the surges of tension and euphoria, and there's so much music, about 50 cues on the original soundtrack, which has been on heavy rotation in my apartment since its release last month. The expanse of the score is one of the reasons why it's one of my all-time favorites, and that's not hyperbole. As the story of this movie and the family at its center jumps through the metaverse and the alphaverse and all the verses, the music leads the charge, morphing in style and genre and scale at a dizzying clip, in some cases multiple times in one cue. What follows is a fun conversation I had with Ryan Lott and Rafiq Bhatia of Sunlux about this dazzling new work. And I think you'll be able to tell by their earnest enthusiasm that this was a project that meant a great deal to them and is one that I think they would all agree is a milestone in their careers. Let's dive into the verses.
1: Close your eyes Swallow the sun You have only just begun.
2: It was a huge process of discovery, you know, just like running into all sorts of beautiful discoveries, but also challenges, you know, and then just being able to think quick on our feet and as a team was was really important because there was no slowing down. We couldn't get hung up, so we kind of had to keep moving. And fortunately, we had so many cues that if the energy wasn't right and energy wasn't there or the vision for something wasn't there, we could just be like, okay, uh, let me just let me just move on to the next one, you know?
0: Yeah. 50, what, 49 cues. Is that, yeah, yeah. I don't remember a score or a soundtrack with that many cues. Um, maybe you do, I don't.
2: Well, the crazy news is, uh, the crazy reality is that there are 49 tracks on the OST but there actually are far more individual cues in this film, including maybe six or seven like little syncs from other other folks there were a um, hundred cues
0: <laughs> wow.
2: so um, it was an insane amount of music um, some of which if there's a smattering of Our own uh, Sunlux songs that were totally reinvented. So even the ones that were existing pieces of music that they utilized for the film, that was just the starting point. We went in and then pulled them all apart and put them back together again and reinvented them. So, uh, but yes, you're right. There's there's no such thing as that many cues in in a single movie. (laughs) Until this one.
0: Rafiq, can you think of some something that had this much music wall to wall?
3: Yeah, I really don't. I don't know of anything, but I hope that when people experience it, that that's not really top of mind. You know, like it's like, you know, when there's this much music, it feels like there are a lot of moments that are especially impactful where the music drops out. And the the fact that there isn't music lends a kind of weight. And that was actually something that started to happen as we were working on this project, that there would be this recognition of that in our kind of calculations about like what remained to be scored. And, and we really tried to be intentional and also at the Daniel's direction intentional about where those silences should go. Yeah, that, that's, I do recall where the young actor
0: who played the daughter uh, in one of her
2: yeah, Stephanie Sue.
0: Yeah, Stephanie in one of her versions of the of the villain that she was playing in the film when she was talking about the the everything bagel and and it just everything dropped out and she, when she sang a bagel
3: <laughs> yeah sucked into a bagel yeah. yeah that was
0: just a moment that stood out to me where everything just dropped out. She actually
3: she improvised singing that like it wasn't meant the line wasn't written to be sung. She just decided while they were shooting oh. that it was going to be sung in that moment. And they kept it because it's amazing. In
0: that old soul kind of way yeah. that,
3: uh, that she delivered it. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah
2: and, I mean, it, and, and there you go. There's a testament to like the virtuosity represented in this, in this movie that is dimensional, you know, and these performances, these actors, uh, what they brought, um, not only are they, are they embodying uh, different lives and different characters, um, they're doing so in, a, in this wild film where suddenly singing a line instead of speaking it is, uh, <laughs> is great <laughs> and, and becomes, uh, becomes a memorable, iconic moment. So that was fun, too, because she was, she was open to—and and Daniels were open— Uh, as they were the entire project, to uh, taking ideas like that where we could respond and and then they would respond. And and it felt really conversational, the whole process.
0: Well, that's an interesting thing I wanted to touch on too because directors always have to juggle so many things in a a project and they have to split their attention any number of ways and give their attention to people who need it uh, moment to moment. And But it seems like in a film like this, that that would be amplified, you know, 10 times or more what what the normal division of attention would be. Did, did, did you feel like they kind of gave you the reins and trusted you a lot because they maybe couldn't give as much time to you as a normal director on a normal project would be able to give to the people making the music?
3: I mean, I think we had a keen awareness of just how busy and stretched they were the whole time and yet somehow they managed to keep an unbelievable amount of focus and consistent attention on what the work was that we were doing together you know and and I felt like they were largely by our sides as we were shaping almost every aspect of the music you know even if they were pulled away temporarily by other demands that would maybe cannibalize their attention for a day or two like they were always swinging back in, checking to see what we had come up with, making extremely incisive comments, like so focused and attentive to the particular aspects of each scene, but also bringing an awareness of the big picture that we couldn't possibly have to bear in some really critical moments, you know. And, and it also probably has something to do with the fact that they cut their teeth making music videos. And they have a very deep understanding of how sound and picture work together as a result of that and how, you know, I I think just even some of the fundamentals of their process, you know, have been formed around that relationship. Um, It was was really inspiring and helpful uh, for us to have that. I don't think we could have really done this right without them guiding us through this like crazy prismatic, multiverse.
2: It's such a crazy thing about those guys. You know, it's like, here we have, it's such a testament to what incredible artists and filmmakers they are, which is that, yeah, like Rafiq said, we had, we were given such good direction. It was crazy. Like, they had so many great insights and it wasn't just because they'd spend more years with the ideas uh, than we had. They, they, they truly directed us in ways that that were very musical, but that we ourselves as musicians wouldn't have thought to go. And it's just, it's a good example of how their role as as filmmakers, as as directors, supersede just putting an edit together, deciding on camera angles, to, you know, working with with actors. It's like it's, it's such a such a bigger, broader role that they that they play so uh, expertly. It was kind of humbling, you know, um, but in the best way because their spirit is so generous. Because on the other hand, whenever we had ideas that you know they might not have envisioned um, they were always open always open
0: that's so great yeah the openness of those guys to just do whatever works and and pitch in in whatever way real quick how did you guys? I'm just fascinated about how you guys all came together can you, I know you probably said this any number of times on this uh press tour but how did this all come together how did you guys meet where, where was the seed of this for you and and the Daniels
2: years and years ago now daniels started to dream up this insane idea of this movie and then as they were listening to sun lux at one point they thought to themselves maybe these guys are the ones who could score this thing because first of all there's three of them they all have solo projects they're all dope they you know (laughs) this is their perspective the way they told us and you know, as a band, they they make music we love as well. And they're constantly like working with opposing forces that feel like they should be at odds, but where they make them all work together. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with our movie. So let's just keep listening to these guys and see if we might think it could be a good fit. Also, um, this movie, as as nuts and wild and fun as it is, it's also extremely emotional. And you know, I think that's one thing you could say about sunlux music is is it tends to be on the emotional side of the spectrum as far as like its its, its sensuous qualities to carry nothing forward
1: for we owe it to ourselves to bury yesterday leave it quaking in the earth We're speaking, and we are not who we've been. There's a chance we're only
2: waking from a dream of the God in our breast. How will we? And what's terribly unlike us is to be funny. (laughs) So, um, uh, but this movie, um, I, I think that they knew instinctually that what was going to be really important for this film is that not only do they need people or a band or something to cross genres and, and, and span a f- wide spectrum of music in the, in, in the score, that they also needed a band that could write terribly earnest and emotional music. And that was their pitch to us, that they've, why they thought we were the perfect um, fit to your point earlier, they knew there's going to be a lot of music and probably too much music that, to write for anyone to actually pull off. So originally the idea was that they would license a lot of our existing music, both our solo musics and also our music as a band. And then we'd like, you know, also do some bespoke stuff. Um, in the end, that's not really how it went down. And we wound up just making an enormous pile of new music.
0: I mean, I've been a fan of you guys for a while and I just got four I got four new Sunlux albums in one in one score Oh man,
3: well add it to the three new Sunlux albums that we put out over the pandemic That's right Now you know why we're all tired Yeah, (laughs) wow That's extreme Oh I'm sorry, three new albums and two volumes of reworks in which we also participated in reworking those albums So nine, nine albums
2: (sighs) Yeah, it's like it, 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 it. Yeah, it's really crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: are in awe of this project from every standpoint and certainly for me as a lover of score I'm just I I've this one of my favorite scores I've ever heard I've been playing wow, it you. non-stop um,
2: thank you so much man
0: yeah and honestly I you know talking about what you guys do and your kind of signature that the Daniels picked up on and thought might work here, I do get that drama. I mean, I'm sure it's been said in many different ways. Your music is cinematic, it's dramatic. Mm -hmm. It does have that weight and that epic quality to it a lot of times. And I certainly think when you bring that into a film like this, where you really have to go all over the map in the sense of genre, what struck me right away is that, There's like a sharp instrumental expression that I identify in your music and your patterns of music a lot. When I think of that, I think automatically how that works with high intensity action. correspondence is interesting to me and that and that the, the parts of your music that really are angular and sharp and rise and fall with a lot of drama seem to really would lend themselves to that kinds of sequences. And then you have the melancholy piano, softer, sadder parts of your music, hmm. my favorite parts of your music, that were allowed to breathe and exist in such incredible ways as a counterpoint to all of the chaos.
2: I mean, you can imagine how like incredible it feels to be able to, you know, we all feel chameleonic as musicians. You know, we we love so many different kinds of music. And one of the things that drives us uh, creatively is to be able to embrace um, so many different kinds of music and reconcile our love for so, such a broad spectrum of music in what we create. And this wasn't something we sort of, at least I'll speak for myself, this wasn't something I realized right out of the gate, or I didn't put the, make the connection here, but this what this became was a project that accommodated and called for and welcomed and encouraged so many different versions of us creatively. Um, a single project that does that, that not only is a musical project, but that is a collaborative project across... Um, that that represents such an incredible spectrum of talent and effort, Um, this beautiful medium of film that sort of just welcomes all of the other media, you know, into its uh, embrace. I mean, to find a project like this, it just feels, it became, it it was like a thing where it was just like, holy shit, like, is this real? You know, and it was like, there were so many times when the project would expand, you know, and it would be like, oh, let's, you know, A24 would get start to get really excited about it. They start to see rough cuts and stuff, and they're like, and they're saying, holy shit, this is actually gonna be great. <laughs> and they're saying, you know, who else can we welcome into the score to sort of like, you know, up the ante here, you know? Yeah. It was like each with each one, it was like pinching myself. David Byrne, are you kidding me? You know, I was like, <laughs> I was like, Randy Newman, really?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's insane. <laughs> it's
2: like Andre 3000, <laughs>
0: nitsky Moses Sumney. <laughs> yeah. It's like all these wow. people, you know.
2: But you know, and 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 again, us across a wide spectrum of the of the musical universe, you know, and that's something also. I think that is not. It again, just to clarify, not on the strength of what we were doing. Um, but really the strength of the project and, and what Daniels had made. This, this thing was, a, was something that people just gravitated toward because it, it was truly special. Um, and we just were in the business of, you know, really just not fucking it up.
0: <laughs> well, you guys nailed the I want to ask you about there's a very important question I did want we to nail ask not
2: it. fucking it up. Did we nail not fucking it up? That, well, you guys really nailed not fucking it up. I have to say,
0: <laughs> you nailed not nailing it. Um, <laughs> well, what I, just to just to put a button on that? Yes for the drama. Yes for the melancholy, sweet, romantic, sentimental cues. How did you approach comedy? Uh, have, have I assume you had not really done cues like that before? So what? What was that a collaborative thing? Did you refer to films? Did How did you go about that?
3: I mean, honestly, that was like all three of us as different as we all are individually and in our, our musical kind of backgrounds and tastes and stuff like that. Like one thing that we have in common is that none of us really make music that has much of a sense of humor, you know? It's like all pretty serious um, <laughs> through and through, you know?
2: It's so true. <laughs> We're so self serious. <laughs>
3: yeah, and it's but the thing is is that behind that veneer we're all really silly dudes. And that's that's the thing that like made it work, I think, is that we could fully get behind how ridiculous aspects of this were. And, you know, our first assignment on the project was like the perfect thing in retrospect to kind of make us just like dive into that deep end you know um which was that we had to come up with music for this universe in which people have hot dogs instead of fingers and it was like a a like king and i style like like soap opera love song you know and um yeah so it's like For everything that we've read in this crazy script, like for it to start there on day one, like, well, we need to write this song so that when they shoot this scene, the music's already in place. Okay, all three of you come up with a version of the Hot Dog Hands musical, like, go. You know, it was just so ridiculous (laughs) from the very get-go that I think it it helped set the tone for us, you know, and we got a really good piece of advice because obviously Daniels knew this about us when they asked us to do this and we were like nervously sort of asking like, well, you know, I don't know about this funny stuff. Like, should we maybe hire out for some of these scenes or something, you know? And they were like, no, you guys, we want you to, to make us earnestly believe with the music that this is serious, you know? And I think a lot of times the music kind of serves that function in a scene where like, even though the thing that's happening is like, just the most ridiculous shit the music makes you feel as though it's for real and it's sincere that's right that's right like there's like a a scene late in the movie where um there's this uh romantic relationship between two people that is scored by a, a very quintessential piece of classical music In a very unexpected way, because it's in the universe where people have hot dogs for hands, so you, you couldn't play this on the piano with your hot dog fingers. So, so one of the characters playing the piece with her feet, and it's like you know, it, it's sort of playing while you're seeing like what the kind of language of love and intimacy would be like in this universe, and it's so ridiculous and like when i was in theater watching the movie 9 months after we finished it But just
2: to clarify this is a this is something that Rafiq reworked um its oh, a yeah, famous yeah.
3: piece of Absolutely. classical music but Rafiq made a, it
0: this isn't the def, this isn't the clair de lune piece it is it is the Claire de lune i didn't
3: want to give it away but now now everybody knows <laughs> but just <laughs> yeah. but yeah. it's
2: not yeah it, it's something that Rafiq uh, made made the version of that, that um,
3: wow I assume,
0: I had assumed that was you because it was piano, but yeah. Wow. That's, that's an example of how you guys
3: all took turns. At different yeah, no, things. I, I definitely yeah. did not write Claire de Lune.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> no, but, and, and the performer, the performer on a couple of cues is a, uh, is a pianist named Chris Padishaw is a friend of ours. And, and, um, it, uh, Rafiq is in the middle of a point but I just but it is an example of not just how we tag-teamed as a trio but how we have we were part of a larger family of musicians and like it was really important um in bringing this thing to life that we had a lot of help yeah that side no as well. and
3: I mean Chris is like an example of somebody who's just incredible and I feel like so many moments along the way we encountered people who like it was almost like they were like born for the job of being a part of this film and Chris is like no exception to that and I've I've been really happy to see him you know as somebody who I've known since I was in ninth or tenth grade or something we've been working on music together he's all over my records and also like a lot of other things and he knows more about film than anybody that I have had met at least until working on this project there are some heavy hitters in Daniels's crew obviously but like sure just among musicians he really is like studied the thing and it's been really cool to see him getting some shine in that world from playing on the knives out soundtrack to like the new guillermo del toro movie nightmare alley he's he's all over a bunch of things but we we were fortunate that he would join us for this and and we had to make it sound like it was played by toes. you know. <laughs> Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis's toes. Um, and anyway, the point I was trying to make was like, I, I got so deep into like kind of trying to make all the like little like projection gestures and like blooming, like sputtering reverb tails and everything like floral and like sweet and, you know, sincerely like affectionate that I forgot how ridiculous and funny that part of the film is until i was in a theater full of people who were all laughing about it you know yeah and i just like you know because it's sometimes when you're in the middle of doing that you really have to yourself like believe that yeah you gotta buy into it yeah buy into it yeah yeah i mean like if you can't suspend your own disbelief like how are you going to expect the audience to you know
2: yeah and it's and it's like what's cool is it's it, it suspending your disbelief is like an aspect of it but there's also this aspect of of not suspending your disbelief and actually embracing the absurd and the absurd being a path to finding an uncanny beauty and transcendence, you know, because one of the most poignant moments in the whole film has no music and it's basically rocks.
0: We're just looking at rocks. Yeah, sure. You
2: know? And, and that moment is so, so beautiful and transcendent, but also is, deeply absurd in a way Um, absurdist there is even a moment that's just so absurd where Michelle is on the shoulders of a another character and basically operating him uh, by pulling his hair and
3: um, there's there was a moment that's like one of the hardest things about this movie is that like it's so difficult to explain what's going on at any given time and I think that we have this like tendency to not want to give it away because it's funnier if you have no idea. But at the same time, there's nothing that we could say actually that would possibly spoil it, you know. So like, if some of our descriptions of these things are like a little yeah. bit confusing or awkward, like it'll make sense when you see the movie because absolutely, yeah, it's like
2: yeah, it'll it, it'll yeah. make it'll make sense. But even in this, these like even in something like this, which is this moment is is so. It's both so funny and so ridiculous, but it's also sentimental. It's an homage to something else that is quite familiar. And it is, it's actually like such a beautiful moment. And it's like, man, Daniel's figured out how to do this thing with this movie that I just, I've, you know, other movies do as well, but not, not it. It's like a thing that nothing else has in spades like this, this movie. And yes, I'm crazy biased, but, you know, even two and a half years into working on this, I mean, or at least two years and seeing, seeing this, you know, a version of this movie, I'm still seeing things and I'm still getting hit in different ways. And it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty unreal. And we just feel so lucky to be involved.
0: you're speaking of of vocabulary which interests me because to me there's like notational and like instrumental combinations that make up a language for different genre motifs like like for instance the brass and strings of sci-fi and action films right yeah. You know, and then there's the same thing for a sentiment and for fear and whatever. And what came out of it was reminiscent of the Matrix. Yeah. And yeah, but but it has your accent on it. So you're not thinking that you're listening to the Matrix score. But there's something that and again, it's this homage thing. It's like pulling in things without being completely derivative, but just giving a nod to something and giving it your own accent.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that that was like a super helpful early director from Daniel's also, you know, wanting to like very clearly establish and differentiate different universes. Like given how quickly we're sometimes jumping in between them, it couldn't necessarily be done with like a theme or a melody or something like that. It needed to be done with sound. Like you needed to just hear a moment of that music and know that you were in that universe. And for me, it was a really eye-opening thing to see how Daniels are able to do that kind of like genre referencing stuff that you're you're describing you know like that homage to the matrix thing is like super intentionally like the expectation that we were trying to set up it's like okay so we think this is an action movie now good You know, like it's like in each each case, we're building up these sort of like you know frames around like what the normal expectation would be, that ultimately allow us to push way harder against those things. You know, like and and abstract things musically in ways that wouldn't be possible were they're not that like familiar sort of thing to hang on to. You know, and it came at a time where, for me personally, like. I've been really fascinated by the idea, you know, of finding ways to, like, bring people's sense of, like, what feels normal or familiar into focus more at times in order to be able to then, like, push against it and and sort of, like, uh, contaminate it in various ways, you know, and dealing with Daniels was a way of seeing how that can be done with a sensibility that I would have never come to on my own.
2: Yeah, I think scoring is, is uniquely, um, so when you travel, if you travel somewhere, brand new place, and it feels wonderful because it's new, you know, that's great. But then the places where it feels wonderful and new that also make you feel like, man, I could live here.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: like where there's a sense of home and of strange, That's something that I think, I, personally, I always strive for with music, you know, with making music. It's like, I want it to feel like another universe, but also like my bedroom. You know, I want it to feel like as strange as it does familiar. And, you know, not at, not always. <laughs> you know, But flow. that's
3: exactly, yeah, it's like as strange as familiar implies like kind of a 50-50 balance between those things. And the thing that we don't do very often is like the mostly familiar but a little bit strange, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, and that's what this movie will let us do. You
2: know, It's just kind of go, you know, play with that balance, like always, like just. And it was, yeah. I mean, what, what a, what a crazy opportunity to and privilege to be able to do it.
0: Well, yeah, like even those those piano cues that i love so much that i guess refer in some ways to claire de lune and that kind of world and debussy Mm -hmm. there still is that atonal string thing going on in Mm -hmm. underneath it that gives it attention that is not in the original works that it it might be Mm -hmm. referring to
2: yeah yeah with the piano stuff one of the things that i did um just for like the geeky folks listening um with a lot of the solo piano cues or cues that had a that like really featured the piano um i actually used two pianos and i performed fragments of it on a different piano and superimpose the two like kind of like these little shadows of the primary color you're hearing and then just play with like their spatial and spectral relationship and that was kind of uh, just taking a cue from the thrust of the film where someone can kind of kind of float between two versions of herself. And uh, you know, constantly took inspiration from the ideas in the movie and found ways to embody them in the music. Um, and, and that was one of the ways that we could be ourselves because what Daniels were doing was so inspiring and so out of the box and you know. And this movie, you know, does the thing where it's like, it's like a a giant love letter to film but also a giant fuck you to film (laughs) at the same time. And like, you know, that's kind of what, that's kind of what we aspire to do, you know, as music makers, Like, uh, like unabashed affection for what came before us and also kind of like, you know, kind of like a desire to just kind of say fuck all that and you know change change the way we you know change what we've heard into what we want to hear
0: you know speaking of cues one of my favorite ones is the wang family portrait right at the beginning because it achieves the essence of to to me what's film music's greatest power which is to kind of whisper something into the audience's ear kind of suggest something that's not on screen Hmm. and warn maybe of something that's coming. So in this case, it begins with this wistful piano and the thing that I'm talking about that I love and this delicate but discordant strings. And then you almost hear like a storm cloud that floats Hmm. in there.
2: Some of that discordant stuff is actually like whistling, creating whistle tone through flute. That's like a really special sound, almost like wind. It's just... It's all about just like minute textures that throw everything off, and then meanwhile you have this, this dulcet, you know, um, piano. How many, um, how many versions
3: yeah. of that did you make? There were like thirteen different intros or something. Yeah, I
2: made ten. I think I made ten. 10. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I
3: thought some of them had an A and a B. They alternate. did. <laughs> they so did. I think there were more than ten. We made a lot of them. Like you know, like and, and that, yeah. That, that was a classic thing where Daniels were like, all right, can you write some intro music? And Ryan was like, all right, here's 10 versions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, it's the first cue. It's, it's the first, it's gotta be, you know, it's gotta be good.
0: Well, and and really what it did to me, that like what I'm talking about is that it brings you into their home and there is gonna be a suggestion of a family dynamic and some emotion and some sentimentality there and maybe some challenging things uh interpersonally but then right as evelyn is uh at her table with all of her receipts you get this kind of foreboding yeah. <laughs> thing coming in that that warns of something that's going to be on another level and way more mm-hmm. exciting and dramatic and that's the thing that i love about film music is that it can do it can do that without showing you on the screen it can just kind mm-hmm. of like float it out there very subtly like yeah she's at her table doing taxes right now but wait for a few minutes you know yeah
2: Yeah, you know, and that's a good example of that was that was our 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 idea um, was actually to introduce music right there once we pass through, because we're like, you know, we're passing through this mirror into a different realm that's quite quite different than this, you know, happy family moment. And originally, that was just sound design after there after the pass through. And you know, we proposed like, what if there's just like some sense of unease there before we get into the nervosa of like of the busy busy life what if there's just like a little bit of and they and they were open to it and so that's like a good example of how like it wasn't just following orders with them it was you know they were really open
3: to our suggestions and yeah what were you gonna say Rafiq though oh I was just gonna go on to say that like that section in a way does what you're saying where it like teases some of the dynamics to come and then it immediately launches into you know 10 or 15 minutes straight of music that was like really one of the most challenging things in the film it was actually like one of my first responsibilities early on and I like could not crack the nut like because it it had to feel like um, almost like score for another film in a way like we couldn't really give it away and it, it was like almost like what that movie is before things really get underway and then Ryan was like oh man let me help you with that and then he struggled with it for a really long time you oh, know, like yeah. we just like, so hard it was like so, hard. so many hours went into trying to figure out what exactly we could do there because it really needed you know like we wanted it to feel like something that had enough Personality in it that it could be setting up a whole film worth of music, you know. Like in a way, we ended abandoning it. (laughs) (laughs) It was like scoring a pilot or something, you know. And then, but then it's like just never comes back. But
0: that's amazing how one cue can do that. I mean, it's really that's the magic for me. That's the magic right there. And and where the Daniels like nah, not quite, not quite, not quite. Or were you kind of just like, not quite, not quite, not quite, or both? Oh
3: yeah, I like, don't think I ever sent a draft to them. I think if anything, I just called Ryan and I was like, I've been working on this for way too long and I have nothing to show for myself. You know, like it was, it was really hard. And I was not happy to see Ryan struggle with it, but it made me feel <laughs> slightly better about myself after like how abysmal my- Yeah, no, my... It, was,
2: it was not easy. I mean, it's also just a very long sequence. So um, it has to, yeah, it's just, it's a unique thing about this score, which is that there are very specific moments that have to be fully committed that have essentially no connection to anything else. Um, yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's got a strike there and then we're moving on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: I've like generalized that the score is almost like if you think about a loom where like the vertical strands of the thing you're weaving are the sound worlds of the different universes and the horizontal strands are these little themes that we came up with that, you know, some of them represent a character like, you know, like Bu has her own theme, for example, but like, it's really more that they represent dynamics between the family members so like you know like one of the main themes that recurs is like the relationship between Evelyn and Joy and it also like the more I've thought about it the more I've realized that that theme is almost like kind of like a signifier of generational trauma um which is really deep you know and and not all of these themes are pushed you know, some of them are pushed harder than others into different territories, you know, like the Evelyn and Joy theme being a primary example of just like being like super sweet and sad on the piano solo. But then like on the OST, if you listen to the track, it all just goes away like that is like some of the most sinister, like like it's just so intense and dark and nihilistic, you know, and also hopeful, you know.
2: There's a hero theme, there's like an overcoming theme, like whenever someone is like overcoming, whether it's like Wayman with his fanny pack or Michelle declaring that, you know, um, she hasn't gone far enough. And sometimes it's woven in sweetly, but sometimes it's, you know, has that sort of like classic heroic sort of, you know french horns <laughs> yeah. yeah
3: yeah but it's like that that theme also like sort of is like what ends up soundtracking aspects of the romance between Evelyn and and the alphaverse version of her husband you know yep. like she's like seeing him in this new new light yep you know? yep like in the hallway
0: is what you're talking about that kind of alphaverse romance between them was that a a, a kind of a Wang Kar-wai reference yeah yeah do you think uh,
2: from a, from a filmmaking perspective, um, c- yeah. cinematogra- cine- cin-
0: the cinematography of it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, and the I rain and, and stuff.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. We saw, uh, we were on set one day and we saw one of the things being shot and we saw their reference monitor that had the super slow frame rate uh, watching it blur by. And I remember, you know, in my, in my ignorance, just being like, oh, I wonder why, you know, I wonder why they are they have that one monitor that I wonder if it's broken or if like, oh, why they, there must be a specific reason they're using this this monitor because one of, you know, there's two monitors. One of them is like what they're capturing and then the other one is like, like it's like the digital version of what they're capturing, like if, a normal frame rate one and then the other one is the solar frame rate with like the higher, I'm going to be using all the wrong terminology, but basically like, you know, um, what one white discovered when he was, in situations where he didn't have the budget for like proper lighting is that he just, uh, changed, um, changed the settings so that it would create this dreamy effect. And, oh, right. uh,
0: kind of blurred motion. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it was just like, a yeah, that
3: like impressionistically conveys like what it feels like to be, what outside it feels like. at night. Yeah. And, like, you know, yeah. That's some of my favorite stuff in filmmaking too. Like, you know, yep. I, and I feel like that, you know the three of us feel that super hard when it comes to music too that we're like absolutely not purists about the way that you derive a sound you know and and sometimes the best way to represent the feeling of something is actually like with you know not the tools that are photorealistic but the the tools that are impressionistic
2: yep yep yep
0: One of the things I wanted to ask you, which is important for me to know here. um, In a film, right, with so many layers and different floors to stand on, all these universes in the multiverse and the alphaverse, does that place more responsibility on the score to keep the audience kind of centered a little bit throughout all of it? Because you're moving around so much and jumping around so much, is it more important for the score to be a guide and and an anchor if you will or a compass did did you feel that way or was that kind of communicated to you about the the significance of the the score and in, in for that purpose does that make sense that question
3: i mean i think that question reads to us as a huge compliment um yeah because yeah. thank you i don't know that we knew that that was our job exactly or that it was necessarily what we were tasked with doing, but I think everybody was just trying to do what the film needed. And if that's the role that the music plays, I think it's a result of us and and Daniel's almost moment by moment making that calculus, you know, and, and kind of trying to find the line between where the music is like really pushing the visual fractured language outward into even more chaos and fragmentation or when it's actually serving as a counterweight that like keeps you from falling off the edge you know um i think yeah if it manages that in a way that ultimately feels like it it helps the flow of things i think it's really just a result of like paying attention to the particulars of what each moment felt like it needed
0: Yeah, I mean, you're reacting to things moment to moment. Like, I'm I'm sure in this film you were scoring to picture, like, with immediacy. Mm -hmm. And yet, there is something that is also a bridge to other parts and other worlds. And you guys took the weight of that, of keeping that thread connected.
2: Yeah, I mean, to some extent, I think that that is true. Um, To the extent that it is true, I think it is you know, theme was a big thing for them right out of the gate. They they knew they were going to need recognizable themes that we could sort of reuse and, and you know, dress up in, in different clothes along the way. You know, and I remember I remember even in early conversations, Dan, uh, Daniel Kwan just kind of reiterating that we needed themes that felt really emotional and big and beautiful and not shy away from, you know, melody, which was one of the ways in which they pushed us. And I think that was one of the keys to making it feel what like what you described which is that there's an emotional through line that there's kind of a grounding or there's a kind of a something about this makes sense even though none of it makes sense and I think that just the beautiful powerful tool of melody was was is key to that that kind of result um, where all these other things instrumentation texture sounds craziness blah you know everything going everywhere uh, all at once um, <laughs> you know that can all happen as well but then this sort of like le- leading the charge often is just these big broad melodies which sometimes not aren't necessarily foregrounded but they but they are there and it's the kind of a thing that our human perception of music gravitates toward enough that it can be a vehicle by which we can go on all sorts of crazy adventures and still feel sort of at home mm-hmm.
0: Finally, just did, for your respective instruments and what you, you know, whether it's Ryan, did you use your voice very much in the in the score?
2: Only in one cue. There's one cue that um, that is sort of like one of the key emotional moments of the film that uh, Rafiq took the lead on. Um, that's one moment where we felt like one of the ways we could just send this over the edge was to introduce the human voice in a way that wasn't, that was different than how we had used it elsewhere, which is often more of like straight tone choral singing or um, shouts or um, kind of an eerie, a eerie solo vocal presentation of Jobu's theme. There was just this one way of, of introducing a vocal that was textural that could, I think we were like, oh, this could really just make this cue feel that much more special and sort of immediately effusively emotional. Um, other than that, I didn't I didn't sing at all on on the on the record. Oh, but on the OST <laughs> on the soundtrack, um, I sing in duet with Randy Newman. Um, oh, okay. Uh, the full version of the song that in the film where it, where the thing happens, we omit that cue uh, sequentially so that we could do. It's very meta, but it's like we basically made the song that they're singing. And so on the soundtrack, we have the full version of the song, which is supposed to be, like, the song those guys uh, are singing when they're in the kitchen. It's really not that crazy. (laughs) We're not that crazy. A couple of mammals making gravy. Right? Together, you and me. A multi-species team, we're a family. Aww. Culinary elite. Now we're cooking while nobody's looking.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. And then Mitsky did her best impression of you. I saw that on that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It's funny. Sounds, to say it like sounds that. a little bit like you. I don't. know.
2: Well, I wrote it. I wrote that part, and I wrote it in my own register, but with her in mind, yeah, um, there yeah, was yeah. no, you know, it, it was a safety kind of, because there was no, she was too, super into it, but you know, uh, there were so many moving parts that one of the things we had to do is just make sure we always had plan B's because we couldn't spend energy doing things over. And, you know, just like you had to, so oftentimes it just meant being smart, uh, how it was done the first time. And so that was one of my considerations is like, If in the end Mitski kind of isn't able to do this, or is pulled away, or is is, it just doesn't work out for whatever reason, um, I should just write a song that I know personally that I could sing if I needed to, and that's I think that's part of the reason why. And and then when she, when we got on the phone with her and after she heard the song, um, she gave the best (laughs) response uh, ever in a way, uh, which was that she was really excited because she knew she could kill it and for for me that was a big compliment because it was like i wrote it for her to sing and so f- it just means that i you know i was on target for her it's not something that felt like she, she wasn't gonna have to like transpose it or like do it in a different way or like kind of she could really just do it kind of how i how i presented it this
1: is a- From destiny, not only what we saw, not
2: One turned out to be like the way easier, actually, than um, and more f- fulfilling, really, than than I originally thought it might be. In large part due to how easy she was to work with, because she really just took it and and sang it, and then added some beautiful background vocal ideas. But uh, David Byrne made that a super special experience uh, for me, Wow. and I can I know I can speak with the, for the guys too, which is that like his attention and um energy that he brought to that collaboration was uh, so generous and inspiring he was even influential in the, the emotional tenor of the song even before it was written he was some of the things he insights he had about what it should be inspired what i wrote um very cool and yeah so that was a really dream that was a dream
0: So that was really fulfilling for you. Rafik, what was a really fulfilling part for you to contribute to guitar wise or otherwise?
3: There's a lot of guitar throughout the score and like different universes of my personality as a guitarist, from like really thick, syrupy bass sort of stuff to like super high, like two octaves above the normal range, almost like a theremin, like synth activating reverberant spaces sort of sound but the one that seems to have moved a lot of, of folks who have reached out to me that was also really fun because it was on the heels of like banging my head against the wall on that intro music that didn't end up being the thing that worked out I think it was like the very next thing that I got tasked with was working on this scene that Daniel's had cut together around uh, improvised like drum solo that Ian had done, and it's a scene where Evelyn is like screaming through the multiverse, and as she's screaming, it's like cutting. Uh, there's like a million cuts of her in every imaginable universe and all sorts of other stuff, and it uh, Daniel Kwan kept saying like the height of chaos, like and you know, <laughs> it, and it was like it, and it was. <laughs> And I was like, okay, what do I do? And it was late one night and I was like, I'm just going to play guitar on the, like, just to see what happens. And, you know, I played this like screaming kind of, like I was trying to get like the saxophone split tone kind of feeling, you know, like the, the feeling of like ripping apart that Coltrane or somebody like that would get like, yeah, you know, that has always like inspired me that sound. And, um, there's this like, way of playing the guitar where I can kind of like create this fuzzy sort of beating thing that is kind of getting like chopped up, you know? And I just used that sound and tried to play something that spiritually resonated with what's happening in that moment of music. And um of all the guitar playing on the score, I think is where I'm just like, can't believe that that is in a movie let alone in that scene of the movie like it's like <laughs> the craziest thing and i'm so yeah i i just feel so grateful that i got to do that like that <laughs> everybody was like yeah this is cool this works and i was like yeah, yeah.
0: i was like yeah there goes Rafik. as there he is like <laughs> just shredding it up no and it was such like a, a profound like statement of the movie too which is like all of her, all of her faces, all of her entities are just flashing all at once, and you're you're just you're just like taking it home with that. is incredible, and like yeah, and even even like where you talk about like the slower, more syrupy bass kind of stuff, like the first fight scene, I think in the in the IRS office, the Kill Bill, the Kill Bill fight scene, you kind of come in with that little, <laughs> you know, that that guitar drop that sets it off.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: That's what's so much fun for me as a fan of you guys. When I'm seeing you guys in a movie like this, in this context, I I get to identify where you guys are coming in and out. And it's just, it, it makes it a lot more, a lot more fun. Um, Guys, thank you so much. So just real quick. I, uh, I don't know if you remember Ryan, but I spoke with you and Ian at um, Brooklyn steel before a show. Oh once. yes.
2: Okay. I think I, th-
0: and Rafiq was doing a New York Times interview, no big deal. Rafiq was not there. <laughs> and then Rafiq, you and I had a nice interview at a coffee at a local coffee shop about Breaking English, which was one of my favorite albums of that year and continues to be. So it's nice to to see you all again and reunite.
3: Yeah, it's, it's great to see you, man.
0: Yeah, man,
2: you- you were so familiar. I was like it's so weird. I'm glad you said that because I was like, I feel like I talked to this guy before. <laughs> Definitely we've talked before. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. man. Well, good to see you again. And thanks again for this combo, man.
0: Of course, man. And hopefully we'll talk again. And and listen, congratulations. You know, you guys must you're in a moment now and and I love the attention the movie's getting and that you guys are getting. And it's really exciting. And you deserve some rest and but you know Oh
3: man, no rest for us. We're going on tour next week for six weeks around North America. Um Oh my God. Well, I'm gonna be going to the New York show for sure. Yeah. Oh amazing. All right. Well we'll see we'll see you there then. Yeah, we are <laughs> we are really tired, but we're also so psyched to play all the music live that we've been making over the last few years and we're like approaching The live set in uh, a different way that I think allows for more presence from each of us. It allows us to take more risks. I could go on and on about it, but I'm I'm just really looking forward to it, and I hope that the people listening out there, you know, especially if you enjoyed this conversation, like come out, come see a show. We we'd love to to share that experience with you guys. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: We're gonna be we're going to be sharing. And I'm so glad you guys are playing live again. I've gone to some shows recently and the energy's back and it's yeah. just, I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for you guys. Yeah. Thanks so much, thank buddy. You. Yeah, Really nice talking to you. All right, guys. Thank you for your time. It was great. Great to talk and I'll hopefully see you soon.
2: All right, bro. See you soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Bye.
1: could not last for